Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hello and welcome to a musical journey like no other. This is 33 with William Patrick Corgan and this is the 30th step on this interstellar musical expedition. The thrilling conclusion of autumn is near, but where is Shiny going? We're going to find out. We continue to follow that story of the new Smashing Pumpkins album, Autumn. Don't forget the first two acts are available now on your favorite streaming platforms. If it's your first time listening to 33, welcome. If you've been with us since the very beginning, thanks for being fans. Thanks for tuning in. On this episode, we're having another world premiere of a song from Autumn. This time, we'll be listening to and analyzing the track Fireflies with Smashing Pumpkins frontman Billy Corgan. On this episode, we're listening to a classic track from the 90s, Starla, off the Pisces Iscariot album, but was originally released on the I Am One single in 1992. We have a guest on today's podcast, musician Sierra Swan, a good friend of Billy's who's done background vocals on a number of Smashing Pumpkins tracks, including on the Autumn album. She also worked with the Black Eyed Peas, Ringo Starr, Frank Black, who you may know as the frontman for the Pixies. She has a new Sierra Swan EP coming out this spring, produced by St. Charles. You can find everything you need to know about Sierra Swan at sierraswan.com. Kyle, buddy, this weekend, Chicago, NWA 312, big pay-per-view TV tapings. A portion of the proceeds go into charity to help those families impacted by the July 4th parade shooting in Highland Park. It's going to be a very exciting weekend. That's absolutely correct. We're about to crash 
the Billy Corrigan home of Highland Park in just a few days, pay-per-view TV tapings. Then right after that, we head to Australia for 15 days, 10 shows. I can't believe the life we're living because of you, Billy. April 21st, the whole reason for the podcast, autumn releases, Crockett Cup June. I got an email from somebody in the Billy Corrigan management team saying a bunch of other stuff that we can't talk about now, or maybe we can. Who knows? There's more stuff coming. Frankly, Billy, I just got to be honest with you. This podcast is changing the lives of Joe and I. We're happy that you decided to, to bring us into your crazy world with NWA and now Smashing Pumpkins. But let's get one more plug in there. Make sure you like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it. iTunes, Spotify, iHeart app, anywhere where there's podcasts. WPC33.com. Continue the pod conversation. Smashingpumpkins.com. Merch. Concert dates that I just talked about. Frankly, the world is a vampire. 2023. It's all about what's happening. When is the air date on this podcast? Because I think we can talk about that special news. This is airing on 4-4 right now. Ooh, very exciting. Well, then uh, we can talk about it. The world is a vampire in America. Woohoo! With uh, opening artists Interpol and Rival Sons. And on select dates, Stone Temple Pilots and Rival Sons and... Not at every venue, but many, many of the venues. I believe there's something around the neighborhood of 26 total dates on the World is a Vampire in America tour. I think we're going to have the NWA out on the road with us. So we are going to have a rip-roaring summer. Uh, Very excited, certainly excited about the artists that will be appearing with us, as well as being able to take the National Wrestling Alliance on the road. I can't believe we're almost done with this autumn journey. Uh, I'm almost getting a little sad. So look, in the interest of time, because we have a lot to talk about today, I'm going to jump right into our track, Fireflies, one of my favorite songs. This is one of those songs that Howard just shakes his head and says, how is this not a single for this record? And I said it's because people think of us as a guitar band only, and this is how songs like this get waylaid. Uh, certainly should be a single contender. I think when you hear it, you'll hopefully agree. If you don't, well, then stick around for the rest of the podcast because it's worth listening to. I just think it sounds triumphant. That that was the word that came to mind when I was listening to the song. Like, What's one word to describe the song? And I just said triumphant was what popped into my head. Maybe we should use this as the theme for the new uh, 312 pay-per-view because I, I think this would make a nice theme. I was I leaning agree. towards Tonight Tonight with the 312, but maybe maybe a contemporary track would do us better. Feels like a rise. It definitely feels like something is rising up to go against all. When I think of you and a rise, I just get really excited. Anyway, um, (laughs) I just love Kyle so much. It's like it's like my daily my daily joy is Kyle. Um, But let's talk about Fireflies, the track. So last we saw Osira in one frame, split split screen. Osira in one frame, the X and I both chasing to find. Uh, shiny and ruby wherever they may be so here we open up on fireflies and where are we we are at the now shuttered launch site for the ships that were going into space the same launch site that shiny 20 years before went up into space and uh, because of shiny's uh, sort of returned earth the whole program has been shut down of course thousands have careened into the suns a huge embarrassment for the government the x and i and uh, so the whole program is shuttered. So we come up on an empty sort of uh, launch pad with a ship sitting there, you know, with some sort of like parking lights on. And who walks up on the scene but Ruby and Shiny? And the implication here is quite clear as Shiny does the math because he's allowed Ruby as his pure consciousness to make the next decision. And Ruby is essentially suggesting, 
our best move here in terms of safety, in terms of our future, is to get the heck back off this planet. So it's a, it's one of those beautiful movie moments that I can construct only in my mind. The inspiration, let's call it spiritually, was a Brian Wilson song. I believe the song was called I Wasn't Made for These Times. There's no musical inspiration. It was the thought, um, and I can't even say that's the name of the the title of the song, but it's the idea that Shiny is like, look, I wasn't made for these times. I really don't belong here. And as much as I wanted to come home, now that I'm back and I see the mess that this hall is, and the fact that there are all these forces swirling about me that I really don't have anything to do with, and yeah, you could say I have something to do with it based on what I did 20, 30, 40 years before, but this has nothing to do with me. In fact, I've sort of spiritually evolved past this. And so he sort of sings a song admitting, however sorrowful it is, that maybe he's best to follow Ruby's advice and get the heck off the planet. So as he sings the song Fireflies, this being shiny, it's not so much that he's like, yeah, you need to get off the planet. He's grappling with the idea of like, should I stay or should I go? Yeah, I should probably leave. I wasn't made for these times. And so it's kind of left hanging in the air as we go into our next and final sequence of events. Would Fireflies be essentially them taking back off and going into the night? No, this is the setup song for what happens next, So, and I can't give that away yet. But the idea here is, is like, look, let's pretend in this particular instance, Kyle, that you're shiny and I'm Ruby. I'm your pure consciousness. I've walked you back to the space pad where 20 years ago you had a traumatic experience of being exiled into space forevermore. Since that time, you decided to suicide yourself. For some reason, you didn't die. You came back to the planet. You come back, and there's all this tumult around you. And now you see what's going on, and you're standing looking at that same sort of spacecraft, not the exact same one, but the same model. And you're like, you know what? I got to admit that this is all beyond me. And um, I guess if I'm speaking personally, and of course I would like your feedback, but if I'm speaking personally as somebody who wrote the song, there are just times where I look around, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this with Sarah coming up. You look around, you just feel like I'm, I'm really not made for what's happening here. I'm either, I was either too early or too late or, you know, I just wasn't made for these times. The person that Billy Corgan is, speaking of myself in the third person, as I occasionally will do, Billy Corgan isn't really designed for this particular, you know, woke, crazy, pick apart every word world. I like a world that's sort of looser, a little bit more dangerous, a little bit more edgy, because I actually feel that world is safer. I feel like forces balance themselves out better. There's, a, there's an old saying that, um, that evil is disinfected by the light. And I think the more you talk about things and the more you put ideas out in the public, the more people's general intuition will take over and say, hey, that's a bad idea. It's like when they do polling and they say, hey, are you in favor of raising taxes? 80, 90% of people are going to say no. But if you say, are you in favor of raising taxes to save the poor kids who don't get to read books if you don't raise taxes, then, then that changes people's minds. Same idea, right? Do you want your taxes raised? This world is a world of constant and crazy manipulation. And now with AI, AI entering, obviously timely to the, now really timely to the autumn story. Now with AI, oh my God, I think Kyle just collapsed. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle's are you okay? Kyle's microphone, I think, fell down, ladies and gentlemen, as he was trying to make some <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking for the need for replacing humans with AI. Um, but here, let me let me jump on here real sure, quick. Sure, please. I think what it really comes down to, if you look at the the basis of the idea of whether or not someone is going to be going, you know, it at this point in the story, with the wanting to return to space, 
It's the same journey, but the key difference at this point is choice. At first, it was exile, but now it's escape. And I think that that's so important that they've come to a realization that it's going to be going to the same destination, but for entirely different purposes, and you're doing it under your own free will. And I think that that's so important. That's beautifully said. And the other thing I would highlight is this. The reason Shiny hesitates, even though he knows Ruby, i.e. his pure consciousness, is correct. He should get the hell off this planet, and so should a lot of the rest of us get the hell off this planet. The reason you or I or Shiny hesitates is who wants to admit that that's right? Who wants to admit that this place is so messed up that it's worth giving up on? And I think if it was you or I or anybody listening, I think they would have a, a hard time as I once said, you know, Rick Rubin figured out one of my songs was about asking the aliens to come pick me up off this uh, planet and leave. Even if you look at that as a sort of fantastical idea, it's still predicated on the idea that, that the decision-making is somebody else's. Some alien somewhere decides, let's get Billy and his kids and Chloe off the planet, and hopefully we'll take Kyle too. But the, <laughs> the, And jo- Joey, you and Shelby can come if you want to come. But the point is, is someone's <laughs> got to carry your bags. Oh, my God. That's why I'm going. Oh, my God. I'm not that bad. (laughs) Close, but not that bad. Um, But that's still the idea of a deus ex machina force kind of reaching down and extracting you. Put it in your own hands that if you were standing there and it's up to you, do I really want to get on this spaceship and leave? I mean, you're leaving with the idea that you're definitely not coming back. And like you said, this time it's your choice. So on that note, let's jump out. And when we return, the world premiere of fireflies now available for pre-order at madamzuzus.com the autographed 4 lp box set of autumn the new album by the smashing pumpkin this 4 lp colored vinyl pressing is limited to 1333 units and will be machine numbered and autographed by the smashing pumpkins billy corrigan jimmy chamberlain james eha and jeff schroeder the limited edition box set includes the three act 33 song rock opera that is autumn and 10 exclusive unreleased songs over the course of five seven-inch singles that will not be available for streaming or found anywhere else. Go to MadamZuzus.com to pre-order today. Free shipping in the USA. Three-unit limit for order. Pre-order will ship after April 21st, 2023. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 
24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back, friends, to the 33 Podcast. William Patrick Corgan here, your intrepid host. And yes, we're on an interstellar journey like no other. Fireflies. Well, let's just let the song speak for itself. It's beautiful. It's dark. And according to Howard, it should be in your radio pods at this time, but it's not.
Welcome back, music fans. You just listened to the world premiere of Fireflies off of the album Autumn. And at this point, I want to welcome our very special guest, incredible musician, friend of Billy Corgan's, Sierra Swan. Welcome to 33. Hello. Sonorous tones of Sierra Swan. <laughs> it, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get a little bit louder as we go on, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So, uh, full disclosure, Sierra and I have known each other since about 2005? Six. About then. I was probably around 26, so yeah. And we've uh, remained friends on and off ever since. We're on the on period now. Um, <laughs> oh, you're so honest. Okay. <laughs> this is the podcast. We lay it all out there. And uh, I've worked on some of Sierra's uh, music, most notably the Good Soldier album, right? Yep, 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 yep. We worked on that together with Bjorn Thursrud, Bless His Heart. Yeah. Off to Heaven, where he's gambling. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> That's he's a great winning. Photo. He's, he's winning big. I literally see it. Yes, and uh, and then uh, most recently, uh, is your is the peach? Is that an EP? Yeah. So it's the EP is called Tangerines, and your song that you wrote, Peach, is on it. Yeah. Right. That's an extra song uh, that I had written for OG Lala that Rick Rubin was not fond of, and Which is uh, Sarah. No, he liked a lot of those songs. Uh, he thought the song was "quote unquote" too European. That was the quote. Wow, that is quite quite a description. What does that even mean? I, I think I, don't know. I knew, but the funny thing is, I knew what he meant. Yeah, um, I know. So, I, yeah, Sarah was around for those sessions and uh, was around for some of the recording up there in uh, Malibu. And uh, so I thought, oh, you perfect. Mean, let- sorry, the land of maybe. That's what you renamed Malibu. <laughs> it's such a good because it's true. Yeah. I mean, there's so much potential, and then nothing ever happens at all. Anyway, so a, a little bit of background, Sarah, on your uh, on your life. I mean, let's start with your father, Billy Swan, uh, who some of you might have known. Of course, number one hit with "I Can Help" back around 1974, I believe. That's exactly when. But wrote for others, uh, Mel Tillis, Waylon Jennings, amongst others, was part of the Nashville scene. Your mother was a beauty on the yes. Sunset Strip, and they yes. met and fell in love, and here you are with your sister, Planet. That yep. is her real name. That Planet is her Swan real name. Sierra Swan, also an artist. Yep. A musical artist. But uh, talk a little bit about growing up in uh, in the Valley in L.A. and uh, what that life was like and uh, who you used to ride to school with and all that stuff. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, well, it was hot. It was very hot. Um, but it was, you know, it was kind of like, you know, the San Fernando Valley is like kind of a subsidiary of Hollywood. So anyone who's actually in the business, Hollywood or the music industry, Everyone lives in the Valley. So you rub shoulders with like, you know, all the kids of all the celebrities. So, you know, I think actually I went to this school called Campbell Hall, which is where most of the kids of celebrities went. And in my class, Ronald Reagan was the president at the time and his grandson was in my class. So we had uh, agents in our classroom all over the school. So, you know, that's just to start. You're talking about, about secret secret service. Type secret agents. service, yeah, secret service, um, which was interesting, and I don't know where he is now, but he was actually a rather rambunctious child. So um, that's my nice way of saying he was uh, violent. <laughs> so it was ironic that he had so much protection around him. Anyway, um, you know Sylvester Stallone's kid and. All kinds of interesting folks I went to school with. Um, Chris Everly, your friend? Chris Everly. He didn't go there, but he was a Valley kid. And, you know, I grew up with him. Phil Everly, Phil Everly is his father. So I, I knew him. I, you know, I still talk to him, actually. Um, my dad being in Chris Christopherson's band. 
you know, uh, Casey Christofferson. We grew up with her. My sister, Planet, used to show up at the house. Uh, they used to come in a limo from Chris's house <laughs> for their play date. You know, it was really... Very good. It was weird. It, plus, but it you was, even, plus, you even grew up knowing Shel Silverstein, who I many did. would know. I did. I did. I have... Two, well, I have. I should have two of his uh, books autographed. I have. I only have one now, which that's a whole other story. I left uh, one of them in the rain, and my dad lost his mind. That's a um, song. That's a song right there. Which I one? left the Shel Silverstein book in the rain. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I did, and my dad. I woke up. My dad was standing over me, just livid. Because Kyle, are you a Shel Silverstein fan? I remember where the sidewalk ends. It had yep. all, all the little like kind of a. Uh, the covers of these books kind of really stood out when you were a child. Yeah. So Shell Selfish, I, I can't remember any of the stuff because, again, brain's fried at 40. <laughs> but I remember feeling like this is something that every person had in my generation. Yeah. Well, and it was, you know, it was so unique at the time. He was really speaking to adults and children. Um, and a lot of people don't know that he was a songwriter before he was an author. My dad um, didn't live with him, but they lived in the kind of the same apartment. I think Shell uh, lived with Chris, actually. They were they were roommates. And, you know, back in the day, it was very much powwow style. Everybody would go to each other's apartments and play each other their new song that they had written. And, and you know, they, I mean, live in the dream, honestly. My dad got so lucky to be in that, alive in that time period. Right, you so know? you grew up in this kind of bucolic era of L.A. where yeah. music was still music. People were still working in the business. Yeah. You yourself entered the business quite young. At 19, I believe, you had a record contract. I was 18, and it was, yeah, with a band called Doll's Head. Yeah. And you yeah. were in the UK playing, and yeah. the future looked bright. It sure when I met did. You, <laughs> when I met you, you were signed to, to Linda Perry's label. Yep, Custard. What was the name of that label? Custard. Custard, yeah. Right. And that was a subsidiary of Interscope. Right. And, uh, you know, like a lot of people in the music business, uh, you've had your ups and downs in it. I think to keep it to the contemporary frame, just to set up that Sarah's a significant artist who I greatly respect and has one of the great voices in the world. Oh, thank you. Of course. If you want to not only check out Sierra's latest work, as well as uh, she's got a, a, is the thing up there with your dad where you guys uh, did a, a, a an EP at Sun Studio? The Sun Sessions, yeah, it's called the Sun Sessions, and you know, I, w- I think I was, preg- I was pregnant with Jasper at the time, and my dad actually called me and said, "Hey, let's do a cover record." I'll, I said, "I'll do it, but you have to pick all the songs," and he did, and it was really, it was a really great, wonderful experience. But we've been speaking a lot about Elvis recently, and obviously yeah. that's where Elvis started at that same little. A little room in Sun Studios, which thankfully you took me over to one night and got a yeah. kind of a private tour of the place. That's right. But to, but to keep it in the contemporary, and we also talked about this with your, uh, you know, our good sister, uh, Katie Cole, you know, the fact that you have not only persevered in the music business, but now you figured out how to sort of do your own media. You make your own videos. Yeah. You've been releasing your own records and, uh, you know, basically picked yourself up off the off the carpet here when the music business usually kicks people aside, you've picked up and endured as an artist. And I think this is the type of thing that I've been talking about, which is economic and social empowerment of artists to not only continue what they do and be rewarded for their efforts, but also be supported in the fact that they're independent, not see uh, being independent as some sort of slight. If we remember Prince, who's somebody you're quite fond of as a, as an artist. And uh, you're of course living in his old hood in, in Minneapolis. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, when he first started releasing his music, I guess it would have been about 20-something years ago. I mean, he was kind of made fun of. Oh, absolutely. Kind of like, oh, how far has Prince fallen that now he has to sort of sell his own CDs through the mail type of thing? Oh, yeah. He was kind of the innovator of of what exactly, what's what's happening right now. 
yeah, he was, he's the first one that really did it. But talk about, um, cause I think uh, we talk a lot on this podcast about mental health and stuff like that. Talk about, oh well, no, but I'm saying is talk about the sort of the, what motivates you and keeps you kind of uh, on the rudder, so to speak, as you know, I mean, I don't think this is a big mystery. I think Kyle called me a torched artist, which I took umbrage with, but <laughs> no, but I'm, yeah, I, you're, you're full of joy. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't get too behind the scenes there, Mister. Oh my God! Um, this this full of joy guy still signs your checks too. Oh God, you are a, you are hysterical. Okay, go but, on. Um, no, but uh, carrying on seriously, um, talk about because I, I have my own version, but I, I want to hear your version. Which is, what's it like to wake up on a day knowing, okay, I'm an independent artist. I have my my blank canvas in front of me, but I also know that I sort of have to navigate a very complicated world. Everything from social media to mm-hmm. how people perceive you know, what age I am versus whether I have an opportunity in the music business, you know, all these things that are sort of still ongoing discussions about what does it mean to be an artist where you're not defined either sexually Mm -hmm. or by some uh, male in an office, Mm -hmm. you you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like the fact that you, can you talk about that? Because I think you have a fantastic perspective on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think you really, you know, you have to create your own, your own world. You have to know exactly what, where where you're going and where you're headed. You're not really going to manifest anything if you don't really know where, where you want to be. Do you know what I mean? So you have to have a destination. Um, you also have to be very clear about who you are. Um, you know, at this point, I think I describe myself as a 45 year old, you know, pop star, (laughs) you know, I want to be a rock star, I guess, for middle-aged women. I don't, I don't know a lot of people that are doing that. So in a way I've kind of, you know, motivate myself, through that. Um, yeah, I think the hardest thing to do is creating content that is original and that is authentic. Um, it, it, you know, it's kind of funny because I'm not shocked at the place that I am now when I was 18 and I got signed in the back of my head, I always knew that I never really wanted to be, uh, controlled or, you know, told, you know, the, what kind of music I could write or whatever. So, in a way, I, I self, there was a lot of self-sabotaging going on because I didn't want to be in a band. I didn't really want to be, you know, taking meetings with some dude telling me, you know, what I should be writing or how that record should sound. I never liked that. Probably I also made a lot of enemies because I, I really was very um, honest about, you know, that. So in a way, you know, the two times I was dropped, actually the three times I was dropped, um, I was a little heartbroken, but I wasn't shocked because it wasn't the right situation for me. So when everything, you know, went to, uh, when everything, you know, when the record labels just started disappearing, you know, which I don't know, what, what, what year would you say that kind of started happening? I mean, they're still around, but not like it used to be in the 90s. Kind of early, early 2000s was when we saw sort of like... Yeah, the crumbling. The kind of crumbling apart, yeah. Yeah, so when that was happening and the MySpace comes out and all these things, you know, my, my antenna came, went up and I was like, oh my God it's happening. You know, this is the beginning. And unfortunately I wish it happened sooner. Like when I was in my, you know, early twenties, um, I'm, you know, sometimes very jealous of this young generation now that has all these tools. They don't realize that when I was younger, we were, we had no tools. I mean, unless you wanted to go busking on the street, you know, which is not something that was you know n- necessarily, um, attractive at that time. Um, you know, we, we really had to rely on a lot of people to get us to a place that we would want to go to. And now you really can control the narrative. And that's very, that's incredible. Let me, yeah. uh, 
let me jump in. Uh, one thing I think, you know, you said, look, a 45-year-old pop star, rock star. You know, that I think what's interesting is 20 years ago, if you if you heard somebody say that, you would think, oh, that's impossible. That's insane, yeah. But now, I think, and you and I have talked about this privately, you've got 20, 25 years, 30 years, if you want it, of yeah. music to make. Oh, absolutely. And And you see now where if you can, you know, create a respectful space where people can warmly support what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, I know you and I were very encouraged. We we put up your latest EP uh, for sale, the vinyl for sale. Thank you, by Zuzu's. the way. Well, you're welcome. But we also sold a lot of copies, which is fantastic. Oh, that makes me which so means, happy. Well, but I'm saying, which means the Zuzu's crowd, which is, yeah. you know, um, a, a crowd that's very much interested in, in healthy living and support yeah. of the arts. Yeah. You know, they stepped up and supported you in that. And yeah. that you know, that's encouraging to me because that's something I'm trying to build not only for right. myself, but for other artists. Right. Um, and, you know, Katie's uh, uh, among them. Uh, one question I just have to ask because I'm, you know, <laughs> you and me have been known to peruse Instagram. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> looking at, looking at, uh, I think what do they call them, tots, thoughts. Kyle, you would know. What is it they call it? Joe? That I, would be I don't know. That, that Joe knows that. That hoe over there? Is a thought. What? So I don't know if that's exactly oh, what I didn't we're know talking that's what about it here. <laughs> I just thought it was a thought. Yeah, but um, okay. The, thirst trap, we, maybe? Are we thinking okay, of the thirst trap? Okay, but here's the thing: we we've all seen the picture of the you know the above average attractive uh, young woman doing the butt shot. That's a thirst trap. Uh, there you go. Okay, but I'm saying is 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 where whereas twenty years ago there would have been a clear delineation between, hey, I'm in Suicide Girls and I'm doing pseudo-porn or porn. Right. Oh, yeah. Now you see everybody from NCAA, NCAA athletes. There's one young woman who's sort of weaponized her ability to, I think it's OnlyFans or content. She's not doing anything other than sort of, you know, sexy oh, uh, swim, right. swim. But she's making like millions of dollars a year. Yeah. Chloe was telling me last night about some influencer that she pays attention to that's making, I think, $350,000 a year on, on OnlyFans. Yeah. Um, what I'm trying to say, and I'm asking this question more generally, I'm just using some specific examples, but knowing what you know now, let's say you were 25 today, mm-hmm. where where would you draw the line on uh, sexualizing yourself uh, either for commerce or for attention because, you know, you're an attractive woman? And uh, I'm, I'm asking, let's go back to your 25-year-old mind. If you're 25 today, where would you draw that line? Well, I probably would actually be less, you know, sexual about it. I mean, I definitely, you you know, you use what you got. And back then you felt especially pressured to use, you know, your good looks, you know. But at the same time, you know, whenever I would do it, it honestly made me ill, sick to my stomach. Um, but so I think I would probably use my youth, my youthfulness, um, uh, probably in a in a less distressing way. You know, because there, I have, you have more power now. I used it back then to kind of, you know, get behind the curtain. Um, not in a gross way, obviously. You know me, obviously. Um, yeah, I, don't, but, I can't. I can't think of a single image of you where I feel like you yeah. were you were either overly exploiting yourself or allowing others to overly exploit you. And I can yeah. think of a lot of people of your particular generation that were doing, let's call it, oh, similar yeah. type of singer songwriter music. Yeah. That that and I and I knew one of them personally for a little while. Um, that way over-sexualize themselves because of the pressure. Yeah. Uh, Maxim, Maxim Magazine comes to mind where uh, young singer-songwriters, particularly female, obviously, mm-hmm. were, were being put in a position where they were having to sexualize themselves in order to sell records. Yeah, um, well, honestly, I mean, I, not to be completely and totally vain, but I don't, 
I didn't feel also I needed to do that. I was like, I have a good voice and I I know how to write songs. So, and I know well, I had, should, I knew I had something different to offer. You know, as you know, my voice is not necessarily. Um, it has more of a uh, antique quality. You know. Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? It's not necessarily something. I sound like a woman from the 1940s, you know. Um, so, I, you know, I felt like that was enough to kind of stand out. Of course, you know, I don't know. Maybe I was wrong. But, you know, I also have a love for, like, you know, the darker side of music. So combining those things now is, I feel, you know, unique. But anyway, to answer your question, it's just something... It's unfortunate, you know, I do see in a lot of women, especially the women that are getting older, um, you know, the overly, the the cakes and cakes of makeup and the tight clothing. And, you know, these people are like 38, 39. And I think that bothers me more because my whole thing is, you know, I don't want to use to say I'm a feminist as it's a bad thing. It's not. I think everybody should be is to, you know, embrace your age as you age and what really that's beautiful as well. So I don't know. It drives me a little crazy um, in general, and it's never going to go away. So well, that's we're why. Certainly, sorry, go ahead. No, we're, we're certainly seeing a breaking down of um, Paulina Porskova comes to mind, and somebody oh, right. I know a bit personally, and even somebody Chloe knows personally, uh, as somebody who's basically resisted the idea of what it means to be Aging. growing old, old yeah. growing old gracefully. Yeah, and Paulina's put herself out there as somebody who who's willing to not look her best in every shot to say, yeah. "Look, I I can I can gussy myself up and look good." And yeah. of course, I was a model. Yeah, but at the same time, there's nothing to be ashamed of as I no. as I as I grow old gracefully. I think there's something really amazing about that. Yeah, and that should be an attractive quality. I mean, the more you shove down people's throats that women are supposed to, you know, not age or gain weight or blah blah blah. Um, it, it's going to be, you know, young girls are watching, boys, young boys are watching, men are watching, and they 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 they, they think that's the standard. A lot of people, are, speaking of mental health, are going to be in, not well. Let's remember the fastest growing segment of plastic surgery is male now. Oh so. well, okay, that good. <laughs> Sir, it's good. <laughs> we, we, we'll talk about my youth uh, on the next podcast. <laughs> Um, before we um, go out of the segment, and Sarah's going to stick around for our, our throwback track um, so we can regale in tales of the, of the old days. Usually when I tell Sierra stories about me in the past, I, she gets kind of like the icky, ooh face. <laughs> um, oh, my God, you're so gross. Um, <laughs> I think, honestly, I probably have been grosser than you, but okay. <laughs> let's move on. If, if we're having a contest. Let's have a gross off. Yeah, let's have a gross off. <laughs> Let's just say let's just say Sierra in her twenties in Hollywood was a little wilder than Billy Corgan in his twenties in Hollywood. Yeah, I think so. Um, but let's talk uh, for a hot minute here on this uh, podcast about your work on Autumn. Yeah, uh, you and Katie Cole did some amazing uh, background work, uh, vocal work, um, and and you've sung on other Smashing Pumpkins uh, stuff now. I always like to give my uh, my friends the opportunity of a clean shot to talk about uh, what it's like to work with me. Oh uh, boy! Because you know, the, the legend the legend always precedes itself. But you know, you've actually spent you uh, know yeah. uh, probably about a good thousand hours in a studio with me at yeah. this point. Oh yeah. Well, I've gotten to see you kind of wear different hats. You know. Um, well, and it's also kind of unique because uh, as uh, not a lot of people know this, but you were staying with my dad at the time, so we were kind of you know 
during this project, we were in the studio and at the home together. So um, it was a unique experience, but I've known Billy so long that it's very family-like. So it was, it was lovely. But the studio, you know, is always an intense environment. Uh, we also were pressed for time. So to be completely honest, I was very impressed with how calm you were with all the work. I mean, every, what, 33 songs, and we had about three weeks to do them, right? Um, you, I thought you were relatively calm for, for what was going on, you know? But that also has to do with the people you have with you. Howard is Howard, you know? And Katie's very uh, sufficient, and, you know, I am there to entertain and provide the lower register. Um, everybody knew their role. That is the most important thing in working with Billy. You have to know your role and you can't overstep your boundary. And when I do, we have such a great relationship. He gives me the look and tells me not to be grumpy. And I'm like, fine, whatever. You know, being honest and being able to be yourself is key. And I think that's what was the real success to that session. Everybody, well, I can speak for myself, you know, was knew their role. You know, and you were great. I mean, you kind of work on the fly. That's kind of how who you are. You know, you can you can catch every different kind of ball. You can play every sport mentally. Um, as an artist, that's how I see you. You know, you're a basketball player, you're a baseball player, you you're a boxer. Like you do it all. So, um, yeah, you you know. I love that you you sports because that's that's how I view um, working in a musical environment, whether it's rehearsal, which we've obviously rehearsed together as well. Yeah but also in the studio or even a writing session. It's similar in my mind, and you were a student athlete. Um, yeah. I believe you played basketball, if oh, memory obsessed. suffices. Yeah, I'm still a huge fan. Yeah, right. So um, to me, you know, and, and for anybody who played, let's call it playground basketball. Yeah. The rules of playground basketball are pretty simple. You can talk a lot of smack, and you can go as hard as you want to go while the game's going. Mm-hmm. But when the game's over, you shake hands and then you move on. Yeah. yeah. So it's a highly competitive environment. It can get a little rough in there with some elbows and, and a little bit of crossing the line and a little bit of traveling here. But the idea is to win. Yeah. And what you really are focused on, because it's just, it's a it's a meaningless game. I mean, you're not playing for the NBA finals. Right. It's a meaningless game in that it's about the sport of competition. Mm-hmm. And bringing your A game in that, and then that's how you earn respect on the playground Absolutely. is your willingness to fight. And and sometimes you can win by losing. Yep. And I always brought that attitude into the musical environment that I was in. And a lot of people that I've worked with through the years, they don't understand that sort of competitive atmosphere. They think it's almost like an alpha dominance thing. Yeah. I would akin uh, my musical attitude, and it's an interesting leap. And, you, of course, you've known some of the security guards that have worked for us through the years. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, whose, whose names they don't like to be mentioned. But Don't worry, I won't. Okay, but the point is, is people like that, they're so tough that they don't need to throw around their toughness. Exactly. They just exude a confidence. Exactly. Um, and my thought is, is whenever anybody accused me of trying to over-alpha in a musical situation, I would just sort of laugh and say, if I really wanted to do that, we wouldn't be here. That's, yeah, very true. I would just do it without you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm in this environment because I enjoy the camaraderie and I right. enjoy the competitive aspect. Right. And I used to say even to my own uh, band members, like, I would love it for you to try to write a better song than me. I would l- love it if you could best me because mm-hmm. that would just bring 
uh, my creative and and uh, competitive juices up, and I'd want to sort of go out of my way to defeat you. Yeah. And I think the pumpkins uh, worked best in balance, and you can see the results of the work when we had that inward competitive atmosphere. Yeah. Well, it's like Doug said, you don't suffer fools, and that's that's a very you know true statement about you. And you know, you know, you everyone in your circle is there because you trust them and they've gone through a certain <laughs> test <laughs> trial yeah. by fire. And they don't, and I always love watching it happen. Like they don't know it's happening. I'm like, Oh, they're being tested right now. I'm good luck. Can you, can you, cause I, I'm intrigued by this concept and, <laughs> I, and I'd like to see, I can see Kyle on video. I want to watch Kyle's face as you describe the, t- the trial by fire. Yeah. Uh, please describe uh, my trial by fire. It's very subtle. It starts out very friendly. And it makes someone feel super cozy, like they can be themselves. So you, they really setting up a real trap here. And so just, you know, it's a way of Billy trying to get them to reveal themselves. And right where, when he knows that he's got them, he gives them something to make them really sweat and see how they can deal with pressure. And that's pretty much the moment where they're either going to stay or they go. You know what I mean? And it's really harsh, and it's heartbreaking to watch when you know someone is failing. <laughs> and it's also funny. Um, I've definitely been through it in so many different ways, and I know when he's doing it, and I usually give him a look like, you, you know, bleep, bleep, bleep. Um, but it also makes him one of my favorite people because I will say, and this is 100% how I feel, you know, you've made me a better person, artist, and and friend, and and the pain that he puts one through is it is going somewhere positive. I think a lot of people just get too intimidated and they start sweating and they're like, I got to go. And that's also when, you know, people start name calling. And that's when I get real, like I stick up for Billy all the time behind the scenes because I know why they're doing it. It's because he saw you and you revealed yourself and you couldn't take the heat, you know, and um, you know, and, and that's who you are. And I love it. Either you love it or you don't like it. And usually if you don't like it, it's because you're not really up for the challenge. Yeah, I think uh, that's you know? somewhat accurate. I wouldn't, say I'm, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm super conscious of the process, but I'm certainly oh, conscious. Oh, really? You're doing no, no, it? I'm, I'm, okay, sorry. No, I'm, 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 conscious <laughs> of the, I'm conscious of the need to define, yeah. um, use the word test. For me, it's mm-hmm. to define the environment. It's a good idea. Um, yeah. Better word because because um and 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 this is the way we'll end this uh this ramble <laughs> when you're and this is w- this is where discipline becomes really critical when a band is sitting backstage before a concert I guarantee you that most of the band's mental energy is not on the cost of staging the concert mm-hmm. the cost of the promoter the cost of setting up all the stuff you know these video walls and stuff guys loading in and girls uh, loading in you know. Uh, and our last tour, I think we had eight trucks, eight trucks worth of equipment. Wow. Uh, they're there at eight in the morning and they're loading out at, you know, up to one or two o'clock in the morning. There's not a lot of consciousness in creative artistic world for the cost of being an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, one band member who should remain nameless of the OG4 literally would admit that they didn't care at all about the cost of that, that in, in essence, all. All manna flowed from the band's sort of creative juice. So whoever had to pick up the trash after the band, that wasn't their problem. Right, right, right. And there was certainly sufficient uh, funds to pay for an army of people to pick up their trash. Mm -hmm. 
And the reason I, I'm expressing all this is, is I'm a person, maybe because of the way I was raised, uh, many people call uh, abused children hypervigilant. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm forever aware of my, my surroundings. I'm forever aware of the cost of my surroundings. It's not like I'm sitting there calculating every minute of a studio day, but I'm, I'm conscious of the opportunity and how rare it is to be standing in a recording studio or on Howard Stern and to watch over and over again people around me not rise to the opportunity, not because they don't recognize the opportunity. It's because they haven't calculated the cost of the opportunity. Does right, that right, make right. sense? Oh, Joe absolutely. Galley, does that make sense to you? Uh, very much so. I mean, it's definitely something that I think, you know, a lot of people take it for granted. And you can even see it in a wrestling world, too. They think that a lot of the stuff just magically happens, but they don't take into account all of the minutia that goes into that. And I think that that's something that's so important. And I think that that's one thing that you and I relate a little bit, Billy, is I feel like I also have that hypervigilance sort of thing where it's, you know, at some points it's a detriment in your life where it's difficult to sleep unless it's dark, unless it's quiet. And all it's hard to have fun. It's hard to have fun because you're always analyzing stuff in your brain. Yeah. But at the other point, it also, I think it's also one of the drivers that leads to someone being successful as well. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Right. So let's use the wrestling thing as an example. You know, as it's happened many times over the last five years of running the National Wrestling Alliance, you know, I'll have a talent standing in front of me who's not happy with the way that they're being booked. And I understand completely as an artist myself that, hey, I don't like the way this the storyline is going or I don't like that you have me losing to this person or whatever it is, the sort of net result, because obviously it's a scripted reality. But what they can't oftentimes do or they don't want to take the time or it's just not their lifestyle is really calculate those people that came in and set up the lights. They don't understand the whole ecosystem that's happening. And as far as it goes to the, let's call it the creative ecosystem, um, because I've always been such a progenitor in creation, I oftentimes have to sort of kind of check the people around me, kind of like, well, why are you here? Because if you're here to make the best music, then what's going on in this particular moment, stress over a vocal take or one word, isn't really that important. Because if you're really adherent to the concept that I'm here to make the best music no matter what it takes— Mm-hmm. whether it's to serve you or it's to write a better song than you, whatever that takes, I'm going to do it. And for whatever reason, I've just, you know, and it's off-documented, uh, had trouble attracting people who are truly faithful to the creative cause that I'm after. It's a messy business. It certainly can be a bloody business at times. But as I like to point out, and this is my way of getting out of my podcast segment, is <laughs> is look at everybody who's been near me over the last 30-plus years and look at those who have prospered mm-hmm. on their own and in accordance with me. And look at those who, without me, haven't done much at all, but tend to be the biggest critics. And I think you can kind of do the math there. Yeah. Because, and, and this is where I'm trying to be kind, is they don't give themselves that same opportunity. So they put it on me to create a comfortable atmosphere for them to play their guitar riff. Right. But if they cared enough about themselves as much as I do in my music, they would need someone like me, and they would just do it on their own. Right, right, right. And as you can see, they don't want to pay that cost for themselves either. So when we come back, our classic track of the day, which is Starla, which was a B-side off of the Gish album, and uh, sets up the beautiful uh, starship coming called Siamese Dream. Uh, We'll be right back. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
Welcome back, music fans. You just listened to Starla. And Billy, I want to talk about this. This is probably one of the longest songs that we've had on the podcast. It's got to be difficult for you to walk that line to find something like a song. When it's that long, it's got to be hard for you to convince people it could be commercially viable because you can't get a lot of radio play on it. It's just a lot of, I'm sure, program directors don't want to have a 10-minute song on there. So like, how does that ever go through your mind when you're trying to make a song like this? No, I think in a song like this, you accept that there's no commercial upside. <laughs> um, <laughs> the backstory in the song was we got a kind of last-second call to jump in the studio and record some extra songs for a UK single. I can't remember what song this was for. I Maybe it was... Uh, anybody know? I Am One, the single in 1992. There you go. There you go. Uh, I Am One, uh, which was coming out in the UK as a single, uh, God knows why, but they needed some B-sides. And uh, so Carrie Brown, uh, Darcy Retsky's future husband, uh, had a studio called Soundworks, which was on Lincoln Avenue in, uh, and uh, I guess it would be, I can't even think of the streets anymore. Doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> all I know is it was across from a bar because the boys like to go drink <laughs> after the sessions. Anyway, so uh, Carrie, who, someone who Sarah knows well, uh, had a studio. And we booked a session, and for whatever reason, we could only go in there at night. I think maybe somebody else was booked. So the session was from, I think, 10 o'clock at night till whenever. And we ended the session, I believe, about 7 a.m. the next morning. I believe we recorded two songs in that session. Plume was another one, uh, a James and Billy composition, a song I like a lot. And the idea was like, look, we got to throw some songs out. Let's just have some fun. So in the beginning of uh, doing the recording session for Starla, all I had was the 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 opening riff, the da 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 da. That's it. So we made everything up on the fly, including the words, and then I built in this kind of long rambling section at the end, quote unquote, for a solo. And I figured we would just fade it out whenever it made sense. So somewhere about seven a.m. and you, of course you can famously hear the siren in the background. I'm on my knees in front of a Marshall stack playing the solo in one take. And um, there you go. So there was no thought of any kind of commercial upside. And we certainly never would have imagined it would go on to be kind of a pumpkins classic. I am a big fan of where titles come from. I was so, just about to a, say this that. Was, I was, I realized this on the compilation album, Pisces Iscariot. And let's say Iscariot is betrayal. So it was this betrayal of your astrological sign. And also Starlight read an interview based on a girl that you completely misheard her name. Do you want to tell that story? Yeah, I, I think it was in Texas. I met this woman. We were sitting around a campfire or something. That's my memory. Somebody it was a gig, like a like a club gig, and then somebody jumped in somebody's car and went somewhere. Hey, we're at a campfire, come hang out. And I was sitting across from this young woman, and somehow in the campfire in the din of people drinking beer, uh, back to drinking, I thought I heard somebody say her name was Starla. It's a great and name. I was, and I was like, wow, what a great name. Yeah, Starla. But her real name was Darla. <laughs> Oh, well, that is like that. By the way, that it's like the, the complete opposite of Starla. As, well, far as, what, a, as far as what the woman would look like in my head. I was a bit deaf <laughs> from the gig. But um, and as far as I know, uh, I don't think I've crossed paths with Darla since. Um, I, I may have gotten an email at some point, but my, my understanding is she's still going around telling people that she's Starla. That's just so um, funny. And that, that sounds more tragic than it probably is. It's it, just, yeah, yeah. But hey, I'm. I'm the girl. I bet um, there's a lot of kids now or a lot of teenagers now named Starla, though, because of there, there that are, mistake. Yeah, there are. I did find out, though, that there there were people in the past with the name Starla. I could be wrong in that, but I, I don't think I invented it as a name. Well, um, there, there are a lot of people named that because of your mistake. 
There are a lot of kids named Corgan, too, because of someone else's mistake. But um, that's for another podcast. Wait, yeah, wait. You're going to have to explain that later. There's just a lot of kids due to somebody's mistake. Let's yeah, just be honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're all sitting here because of our parents' the reason, mistakes. That was a pleasant surprise. <laughs> the reason I chose uh, this song for today was because I wanted to talk a little bit. I, and I would love your thoughts on this, Sarah. Somebody who's been around me a lot uh, recently on the creative side. As I was describing recently... I've gone back to the Siamese dream way of writing, which Starla, I guess, would be included in that oeuvre. And the, the good news is the results are very, very shiny and bright. The bad news is very bad for my mental health as a, as a mental process. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cool thing about Starla is it takes me back to a time when the band felt comfortable enough to just jump into a studio and figure whatever was going to come out. Um, was good enough. And one thing I've talked about behind the scenes with the band, I get various forms of enthusiasm, is because we were under such pressure to create work at high level at this point in our musical journey, I would love to book sessions and give it a name. Uh, mm-hmm. Josh Homie's Desert Sessions comes to mind, but like where I would just book the band, you know, like three, four of us into a studio for, you know, let's say three days. And then whatever comes out of those three days, good, bad, or indifferent, or out of tune, we just put it out. And, and maybe once a year we go in and we just have some fun and do some sessions. They, of course, kind of roll their eyes because that doesn't sound like fun to them. Uh, oh, man, sounds like fun to me. <laughs> okay, well, you can be in the band for those sessions because, okay, uh, because if whoever doesn't show up, you can you can uh, play their their part instead. But um, great. Let, let me set up the Siamese process a little bit, and then I'm, I'm curious for your thoughts because maybe you can uh, shed some light into why it's uh, personally destructive for me. The idea of the Siamese process, and I'll try to be succinct about it because it's a longer thing, but the idea is you write a group of songs and you separate them into categories. And my normal categories would be heavy, uh, mid-tempo kind of whatevers, and then like ballads. Mm-hmm. You, let's say you write five rockers, five mid-tempo songs, and five ballads. You get rid of the, the weakest of the two, and then you set a new standard. And then you try to outright that group. And then you keep doing it again and again and again and again until you start to lose your mind. Because you start mm-hmm. to wonder, well, what is a good song? What is point? good? Because you've, yeah. you've gotten rid of a lot of really good songs. Mm-hmm. What does start to happen is the work starts to take on a singular identity, which if you think of Siamese as a work, you can really hear that in the work. Yeah. Um, it has a one-of-a-kind kind of feel. So I'm trying to make a one-of-a-kind rock record again for the first time in a long time. But yeah, mental health-wise, not a good process. Um, are you asking me if, if you're... Sure, I'm, I'm asking for your feedback because you're not only somebody who writes, but you're also somebody who's seen me write and see, and you kind of understand like what gets thrown to the side. Right, right, right. Well, can I ask you, how many songs deep are you now? I think Nicola told me the other day we worked on somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 songs. Wow, okay. And, I, and I'm down to working on approximately 16 to 20 at this point. Right. And how so often- I've, So I've easily thrown out over 30 songs, which, which, and by the way, of the 30, and I, it's not just like, for Autumn, I wrote 80 ideas, but wow. they weren't, they weren't actually put into like song frames. They were sort right. of just riffs and thoughts and like, oh, this, can this work? Yeah. These are like pretty well-conceived things. So of the 50 uh, and I would use Melancholy and the B-Sides as an example. All 50 of the songs could easily be on a Smashing Pumpkins album. So the quality right. level of the 50 is pretty high. The right. quality level of the 15 to 20 that are making the cut is really, really high. Mm-hmm. But you start to lose your mind because, you know, of course the top 10 are pretty easy. But when you right. get into those other songs, how can you start to tell what's a good song and what's a great song? Like, for all you know, I've thrown aside the Starlas of the future right, because right. it well, didn't strike me on that day as being worthy. 
That's kind of my next question. Do you ever revisit the ones that you are done with? All the time. All the time. Well, you know, it's like it's like a painting, really. You know, when when you're doing something like this, you know, when you have to when you're taking thirty songs and you have to bring it down to ten, you're you know you're coming up with a palette. What are the colors I'm using? First, you start using all the colors. Then you realize, uh, okay, we got to get rid of red. We've got to get rid of you know, and you start really creating an a vibe, and which sounds kind of where you're you're probably at. But then you have to agree with the vibe. You know what I mean? Do I actually like what's what's you know transcending here? Um, you know, you're you have you're different than most people. A lot of people stop at ten songs. You know, you you keep going. You know, that's kind of why you are a unique artist. A lot of people where most people stop, you just started, you know, <laughs> that I is mean, true. yeah. And it's like really impressive to watch and um, learn. I've learned a ton actually by watching you. Let me say this and then guys jump in. If you, if you want to ask any questions, how can I put this? There's the off said saying, which is you can't go home again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember uh, one time years ago when I would sort of occasionally look at fan comments. I mean, this is like 20 years ago where somebody once said, Corgan acts like he can pull Siamese dream out of thin air at any time. I'm not so sure he can. So put those two ideas together, right? Could I write another album to the level of a Siamese dream if I endeavored to? That's one thought. And then secondarily, can you go home again? As I've said on this podcast numerous times, I'll write ideas that remind me of things that people really like from my past, but it doesn't enthuse me. So I see that as a red flag and I tend to go off of those ideas. So imagine trying to generate a wholly new body of work that excites me as much as Siamese Dream did 30 years ago, but creates the atmospherics of a singular record that is making quite a bold statement in its, you know, let's say 10 to 13 songs. You can see why this is really difficult for my mental health because on on one aspect I'm questioning, well, is it valuable to go home again? So Mm -hmm. right now the story is, and this is where I want you guys to jump in to create some dialogue, is I've accepted the idea, okay, well, you can't go home again, but I'm going to try and see what happens because I think that's sort of interesting. Oceania as a record was me accepting that the Pumpkins language was valuable many years after it sort of had been extinguished and I picked it back up. And I tried to kind of rummage around, and in the in the success and failure of it, I created a record which I think is kind of interesting as a sort of time capsule. This is an attempt, a la Shiny getting in the spaceship, to go back to a mindset from 30 years ago and say, okay, at 56, can you generate this same level of energy and excitement? And 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 by the way, you, you got to do it mostly with the guitar and and with Jimmy's drums. Jump in, please. Yeah, I think what's interesting is you're saying, you know, there's the the old saying, you can't go home again. But there's also the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. So if you're going back to the manners in which you were able to make very successful music, I think that there, and you also have the benefit of, of your wisdom and the time that you've spent on this earth making music, making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. So you, you've basically taken what was a, a supercar, and now you've put even more nitrous fuel into it to potentially take you further. The problem is, when you're dumping all that fuel into that car, at some point that engine could burn out. And that's where I see the mental health issue coming mm-hmm. up, where it's just you're pushing so hard. At some point, something's got to break. And so I'm really hoping that you are taking moments and time to do what you need to do to reset yourself 
because I don't want to see that. I don't want to see Billy Corgan's engine blow up. And I want to make sure that you're not only making good content, but you're also taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. Yeah, you know, the as many people know, when I was writing Siamese Dream, for a lot of it, I was living in a parking garage. Um, <laughs> that story's been told. But I was super depressed and at times very, very suicidal. So to pick back up this process, you know, some 30 plus years later, it also brings up a lot of bad memories. Because the process, if you look at it, it's inherently negative because it starts from the premise that whatever you do, it's not good enough and you got to do something better. Okay, try that, I don't know, write a poem and then try to write a better poem. Okay, now write 30 poems and then try to write 30 better poems than those 30. And then when you get that done and you've compiled those, then try to write another, th you know what I'm saying? That's where it's inherently negative because at some point, you know, and you see it sometimes with these uh, plastic surgery monsters where there's no, there's no perfect face. Mm-hmm. You know, they go, they go so far, they start to look like in insect people, right? Mm -hmm. And it's sad and tragic, but it comes from a deep insecurity that there is no perfect vision. Uh, I've often said that I believe the most beautiful people, it's the perfection and imperfection in their features, which makes mm -hmm. them interesting and unique. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think that you really see that happened psychologically, and we talked a little bit about this around the Butch Vig interview, is... Butch, rightly so, went for an idealized state of the Smashing Pumpkins in 1992-93 and created a great masterwork which endures and will endure long, long past my time on this planet. But it wasn't really the band. There was no band called the Smashing Pumpkins at that point that could make that music. What I created in that studio was a fake version of a real band. And then the real band had to learn how to be the fake band. Right. And we absorbed that and we moved on. That's but interesting. the, the the reaction to that was melancholy. Mm -hmm. And Flood wisely so came in and said, this is a psychologically broken idea that you can be perfect. In fact, you're not perfect at all. I like you guys messy and dark. Mm -hmm. And he pushed us more into kind of a, a Depeche Mode, PJ Harvey, mm -hmm. Nick Cave kind of frame, which is like, you'll find more music here in the alleys yeah. than you will on the rooftops. And that became the predominant uh, working aspect, much to the frustration of many people who liked what I did and now refuse and plug up their ears to ever listen to me again. Because as I you know, jigged and jagged around in my musical sort of uh, landscapes over the last 30 years, since, since Siamese, they find it very frustrating that you end up with these really weird dead ends. Like, well, what is this? Like, why are you doing the the Caribbean rhythm song or something? But you know? I, I think I think at this point in your life, it's very interesting because you've kind of made every kind of record. You know, the people who want to hold on to the past, I mean, whatever, is really all I have to say about that. But um, you've made so many different genres, you know, you've, you've dipped your toe into every different pond. So I think you're at such a great, powerful place in your life right now where, honestly, anything you choose to pull out of your bag, you've kind of done before, and you're just perfecting it at this point. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I don't even understand how people see you in such a one-dimensional way because you're so not like that. Um, so, I mean, that is something you should really be proud of. And, you know, I understand that the idea of kind of going back home is always traumatizing. But, you know, you go back with tools, you know, uh, mental health tools that you didn't have prior that will either make things sound better or worse. I mean, who knows, you know? I think the way to, to wrap this, this idea up is it puts together a couple of ideas we've talked about today. One has to do with age mm -hmm. and one has to do with the idea of 
of uh, the one dimensionality where you said, I can't believe that people see you in a one dimensional way. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the easy answer to when you, you say that people see anybody in a one dimensional way is because they want to. Exactly. They want to. They want to see me in a one dimensional way for whatever reason. And I can't necessarily wrap my head around that. But what I can do is admit that usually the one dimensional way has to do with the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> like right, something that, to do with loud right, guitar right. and a certain kind of angsty, right. you know, sad F music or whatever, yeah. right? So recloaking myself within that that landscape, you know, the the landscape of fuzz and and let's call it angst, albeit the 56-year-old version. Uh-huh. Trust me, the world is burning down. There's plenty to be angry about. Yeah. And then the idea of ageism, which is, okay, so here's here's the way it lines up in my brain. First of all, uh, let's go back to that innocent comment all those years ago where Corgan thinks he can pull another Siamese record out of his you know, rear end, but I'm not sure that he can. So I, I like the challenge of that. And again, for, for, the, for those bird watching, I'm not trying to make Siamese Dream 2. I'm just trying to refire up that particular engine to see if there's anything left in it. And so far, right. all the indications are. However, negative the process can be for me psychologically at times, the results are very, very strong. And I'm very, very excited because it's lining up to be the best guitar record that we've made in a really, really long time. I have to say, I've heard a little bit of it, and I would agree with you. It's rocking, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It sounds, it sounds exciting. You, you know, it's first note that I heard, I just started smiling, you know? Great. So uh, thank and thank you for the endorsement on that. No problem. Uh, and thank you for your father for being such a great host uh, when I've been in Nashville. <laughs> but secondarily, I think it gets into this, which is look around, and uh, and I do mean this in a, in a in a particular way. So anybody can take this how they want. I don't mean it in any kind of a mean spirited way. There's a general expectation amongst fans, and and I'm among them, that when a band hits a certain age, it can be forty, it can be forty five, it can be fifty, it can be fifty five, whatever. That, you know, wh- whatever has happened is in the rear view mirror. And certainly the band's capable of making great music, but not that way again. And I don't need to name the bands, but there certainly is an expectation that whatever comes out of their, out of their uh, studio in 2023 isn't going to match what came out of their studio in 1984, okay? Yeah, it's impossible. So, so let's do the, okay, so let's do the same challenge. Is it possible that what comes out of a Smashing Pumpkin studio in 2023 is going to match the vitality and verve of what came out of a studio from us in, in 1993. I love the challenge of that. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people are not, you know, willing to challenge themselves in that way. Where you find joy, a lot of people find pain, just so you know. So, <laughs> Well, but look at it this way. I think, it's, I think it's valuable in one of two ways. If you do it and you actually pull it off and people stand there and go, oh my God, how is this even possible? Right. I, I I presume this whole organization dead, and then here it is. Here it is. Here, here's that thing, whatever that thing yeah. is, that one-dimensional thing that I just love so much. Of course, time won't really serve you in that way because people have a generational memory and usually lose on that. But for, but overall, I think if you make a cracking record, I think people will admit that you've made a cracking record. Mm-hmm. Oh, but yeah. the other thing is, which people are afraid of, is let's say you fail. I think it's valuable if you fail because then you say, okay, well, that dream is dead. Right. That dream is dead, and you turn the page and you move on. At least I know what it is, yeah. Yes, at least I I, I was curious. I went down this particular road, and I realized that there was no there there. Now I can move on and go down a road where there actually is a there there at the end of the road. Yeah. And if it involves me being an author or a a foodie, then then, then that's fine too. 
Uh, I'd like to thank Sierra for being our guest. Thank you for enlivening our podcast today. Oh, uh, you are welcome. Please. Thank you for having me. Uh, where can people find you on, you're uh, just your name, right? Sierra yeah, Swan? Yeah, I mean, it's as easy as sierraswan.com. And Sierra Swan, my handle is Sierra Swan. So just on the interwebs, Sierra Swan, you'll find me. Love it. And uh, please check out the song that Sierra recorded to mine, Peach. I just love her version. Uh, I'm just so pleased. And we did a video even of it together. We did. We do. I, I mean, I just still can't believe you, you handed me such a gorgeous and perfect song. I, it's European. It is. So for, uh, for <laughs> Let me Joe, go get my tights. For Joe Galley and, and Kyle, this is before our NWA event, right, guys? That's right, this weekend. That is right. This weekend, Highland Park 312. Watch us on pay-per-view. You just got to go on Fight, F-I-T-E. It's easy to watch the pay-per-view live, and we'll have some fun and kick some you-know-what. So for Joe and Kyle and I, we'll see you at 312 in Chicago. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.